I would look in mirrors and not recognize what I was looking at, who I was looking at, or so it was all, everything was uncomfortable all the time. Just being in my body was uncomfortable. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and hopefully better conversations, with attempt survivors. Now, We are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on social media at Suicide Noted. Special thanks to everyone who has listened since July. We are now in 89 countries, so thanks so much for that. And of course, to all of our suicide attempt survivors, 27 different states and six different countries. Uh, I could not be more pleased with people reaching out, people sharing, and people listening. So once again, thank you very much. That said, we could use some help. So in addition to listening, please let other people know about this podcast and If you listen on Apple, I know I say this a lot, please rate and review this podcast. It really does help. Today, I am talking with Elena Lee. Elena Lee lives in Oregon, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Elena Lee. One of the first conversations I had for this podcast, it must have been back in summer, was someone in Oregon. You did have someone. Yeah. I believe I listened. It was one of the first ones I listened to. Yeah. Oh, is that right? I listen to a lot now. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I'm always trying to find people who might have an interest in hearing these stories. So, yeah. So, what I'm wondering, um, <laughs> what compelled you to reach out and, and have an interest in sharing your stuff with people who hear this podcast? Well, I think talking helps. Um, I know it has helped me. And this is a really great thing you're doing. And I really want to put my voice out there and be part of it. I'm so glad there's so many people that are joining you and doing mm. this. Uh, it's needed because you were right. We often don't listen. We take care of people in crisis mode. But then after that, we tend to just, that's it. You know. Yeah. Then when we're back in crisis mode again, then sure, we'll talk again. But mm. we don't do enough to prevent. We don't do enough to find the ways that people thrive, that people are going to actually live. Um, and live well. So we're always struggling. So of course, you're going to have people that have hard times, and they're going to fall, and they're going to need assistance. But if you had just been on there on the front end, and it's not even, I'm not saying we, as in pointing fingers, but I'm just saying, you know, society, if we just had yeah. a society that cared more mm-hmm. about people living and thriving. Yeah, well, that's part of it. That's a starting point, I suppose. People who come on this podcast typically have I don't want to say not gotten the help they needed, but 
however you define falling through the cracks, they fell through the cracks at some point, if not at points, right? There were problems that weren't being addressed. So here's that's my um, awkward transition into your yeah. stuff. Where does that stuff yeah. begin sort of that takes us to some the, the crises, so to speak? Of course, a lot of things happen sometimes so early in people's lives, you don't consciously remember. My parents have both passed away, so I'm kind of having to do this through you know, secondhand stories and just kind of going through my memory and trying to piece together what's been said to me over the years. My father left at an early age, early enough that I think I could remember him and I knew that he had left and it had an impact on me. And I didn't feel that impact until much, much later in life. Like, like I'm still feeling it. But my childhood itself, I remember being fairly happy. I don't know if I would say a, I was a quiet kid, I guess. And I've had multiple people say that you know, to me. I really didn't start having trouble that I consciously remember until puberty. And then that just, uh, it was miserable. And it just, life just continued to get more and more miserable at that point. Mm. Every year, it seemed like it just got a little bit worse and a little bit worse. And, and your life is dominated at that point by school. And I was not thriving in school at all. And there was no one there to help. No one. Yeah. I mean, no one caught it. No one mm -hmm. saw me struggling so hard. Turns out now, last year, I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD. And this was something that my, uh, my ex-spouse had brought up to me. I really think that you have this and you really need to get checked in. And so I did. And turns out I do. But that would really made me struggle. And life just got harder and harder. I could never catch up. I could never stay ahead of the wheel. It was always running me over. Mm. That's where it all comes from. That's <laughs> where it starts. Yeah, I know. Mean, I mean, that's it's massive stuff. And where, and is this in Oregon when you were growing up? No, um, I grew up in Florida. So in, in many ways, it was even worse. The culture down there is not the best for people who are different or having trouble. Again, it's it's hard to push to put together everything because it's all such a blur, and that isn't helped by my ADHD, bad memory things like that. It was pretty bad. And I'm just now kind of forming a picture of how bad it actually is and just how bad it was that it just went unnoticed that people just, yeah. well, it's because I wasn't, I don't manifest the hyper. So that's why it was easy, I guess, to overlook. Yeah. It's easier to catch somebody when they're flipping out. Yeah. So share with us, however, however you're comfortable. Is it, was there one attempt? Do you have one attempt? Some people who know me might say there was two attempts, but I mean, the second one wasn't really close. It was just me just having a really hard time. But they thought I was in danger, so they got me help. The first attempt was the one that really, when I think back on it, really, I think was really powerful to me. And it wasn't so much an attempt as in that I was right there on the cusp of doing it, but didn't follow through. The point where I was at, my brain was cycling through various different things. And I was stuck in a loop of just the typical talk that your brain does in those situations. I've heard it many times on your podcast um, that, you know, you, you are a burden, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't do anything right mm -hmm. so forth and so on. So I had reached a point where I was done. I had already formed a plan a while ago and I was like, okay, that's it. Everything quiet in my head. It was very peaceful. I was like, Hey, this, I mean, this is the moment. I mean, this is it. But I was driving at the time when it hit me. I knew that if I was going to do it, I needed to do it right then. But what ended up happening was I, I couldn't get over. It was the craziest thing. I was trying to change lanes and I could not get over because there was just too much traffic. I mean, this is the, this is the thing that, that got in my way. But what it did was it cleared my head for a second. 
And I was no longer in that loop for that, at least for a second. I was just out for a minute. And I remember back to some old conversations that I'd had. I mean, they were like a week old or two. I don't know. Me and my ex-spouse were talking about stuff. And she had said, sounds like you just need a break. You just need to take off work. You need to just relax and you need to think. And, you know, we need to get you back on track. And I was like, well, in that moment, that sounded better. <laughs> that was That was something else I could try that I hadn't tried yet. And I was hesitant. To do it in the first place because you know I didn't really know what I was going to do with that time and I was anxious about taking off from work and not knowing how that was going to work and with insurance and and having to do all this other it just felt like so much at the time when she had first brought it up but in that moment <laughs> where I was at the end I was like okay well that that's obviously a better option I should go ahead and take that and then I can always just come back here always have always have the ability you know, always have the <laughs> So I did that. And sure enough, she said, yes, um, you have formed a plan and you were about to. And so we're going to get you help in the very next day. Well, actually that evening, uh, she called a crisis hotline and we set up an appointment. Uh, they made very sure that I was safe in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and that I was going to be safe that night. And, you know, she verified, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here the next morning, which actually was uh, Christmas Eve morning. Uh, I went to a crisis center and started to get help. Uh, I had already been seeing a therapist. So, so my therapist got involved and, and she already knew um, where I was at and how much I'd been struggling. I started to get on medication. When was that, uh, Elena Lee? When was that? That was in 2019. Sounds like you were planning it, right? Oh, yeah. I'd been planning it for since that summer. Like I said, this was on Christmas Eve. So, I mean, I had been sort of in that mode for months. Wow. You know. You weren't playing around. No, I fundamentally don't want to be here. I mean, even now, and I'm happy now. I mean, you look around, this is, this is a horror show, the way that we run society and the way that we, it's horrible. I, I, I feel it's horrible. I guess that's my empathy, maybe talking kind of, I don't enjoy being here in general. Um, mm -hmm. We don't help people. We're not nice. We're, all we're concerned about is the money. You know, no matter how much I care about somebody or they care about me, the only thing that justifies my survival, my, my continued, so, you know, me having a house or uh, food or healthcare is if I have money. It's all money. It's all about money. There's no human, um, real connection, not, nothing. It, we've normalized it. Totally. Of course you don't have health insurance. What? How does that become okay? Uh, yeah, exactly. How, how is that okay? Like, I'm lucky. I, yeah. I do have a job and I do have health insurance, but it's been tricky for a while there. I, I had to go on uh, state Medicare. Things are available. I mean, sure, you know, there are programs. There are people who are helping, but this is all like Band-Aid stuff. I mean, this is all stuff that, and you have to do work to go find it. I'm not supposed to ask why questions, but I break my rules all the time. Hmm. If you were thinking about the summer and starting to plan. Sure. Why wait that? Why wait several months? Why not just do it? I had people in my life that, you know, um, I care about. And I had things that I was, well, I guess in that moment, I didn't have too many things that I was enjoying. My life had changed dramatically that spring, like a complete reversal. I was a stay-at-home parent. Mm -hmm. In March, that all changed um, because of something traumatic that happened. Mm -hmm. And I had to go back to work. So, I mean, at that point, my spouse was the, was the one who worked. And I um, homeschooled our 
son. And so it totally flipped my world around. I lost all sense of purpose. Probably is something that's personal to me. I can't connect with providing for my family through work. That doesn't connect with me. Mm. I understand logically, oh, I'm I'm going to be able to provide health care. I'm going to be able, you know, money for food and housing and things like that. That's all stuff I, that's hard to, for me to connect with and see. So all I knew is that I felt my purpose was to be at home with our, our son. Uh, that was where I needed to be. So then when I got sort of thrown out of that and pushed back into this capitalistic jungle, I, I couldn't make it fit in my head. That's part of what started me down that path. You know, looking back now, there was other things that were going on in my head, but I didn't realize it at the time. So, I mean, that was adding to it as well. And then the traumatic thing that, that started all this um, had to do with my family. And I'm not really going to go into that, but so that was all close to home too. So I was also dealing with the trauma of this thing that had happened. So, yeah, that's why I started down this path, because I no longer felt I had meaning. As long as I was home and I was taking care of my son and the house and things like that, that was something I could connect with. Yeah, uh, It was tangible. It was real. Now, I had issues with it. I had immense amount of trouble with it because, as I said, I was undiagnosed uh, ADHD. So it was really hard. Both me and my spouse knew that it was really hard for me, but it still gave me meaning. It's, it was still something I could connect with. Mm-hmm. It was very important to me. Yeah. Then I lost all that. It was gone. I couldn't do it yet. You know, we were wondering how, how are we going to do our, our son's schooling now? And everything changed. Our whole life was just turned upside down. Mm. Um, I think that's pretty good. Here's the why. Yeah. Um, I could go into more detail about other things, but. Um, Definitely makes it clearer uh, in as much as you can, right? As the, the why behind it. The other question I had about that, I just wasn't clear on was you ultimately chose New Year, uh, Christmas Eve. What was Which, the day before? The day before. Okay. And then that morning, yeah, the next morning we went to the crisis center. Right. So it sounds as if you were going to do something with your car. Is that what I understand? Um, No, I just happened to be driving. I was going to pull over and jump off a bridge, but I was going to, yeah, there's more to the plan. It was much more complicated, but I mean, yeah, and that had had been something that I, uh, that I'd been planning that, that thing. And, um, for some reason it just hit me in that place because I was driving past a place that I thought was really, beautiful and i i drove past it most every day with my job and um i was like wow this is this is awesome and this this is the perfect time right here right now and like i said everything just went quiet it was just very peaceful and then i got thrown back into reality with you know trying because i didn't want to hurt anybody by just throwing my car over and you know just running into traffic or something yeah that was a big piece of it too uh, i never want to hurt anybody it's like could have just done that i suppose and then so that then that threw me back into reality for a second. My brain started, got it, got out of the loop, like I said, and I had a second of reflection on an alternative. That that was the difference. It sounds like. Yeah, but there was no um, planning of the day. I mean, there was no okay. Today's the day I'm going to do it. It just happened to happen in that moment. Boom. Okay. No, this is what I've been saying all this time, and now it's finally here. And it just it felt right. It felt right. Like I said, I I did have a therapist at that time, but I had not told him my, any plan. You know yes. what's going to happen, probably, if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something I'm comfortable with, you know, having happened to me. Um, right. I've seen it happen to people. And I, that's yeah. a whole other podcast. 
Yeah, yeah. It's all related, though. It yeah. is. It, it is. It all connects. It all is. Yeah. So when you choose not to do that, some people in your life, I imagine at least a, at least one or two people, for sure, one you shared, learned of what happened. Yes. Yeah. How did yeah. they respond to this? That time was. It, it's a bit gray for me, but mm-hmm. I mean, they responded. Uh, responsibly. Um, you know, my, my therapist uh, talked to me and like I said, I, I got on medication. They became very concerned about my mental state daily, you know, or even hourly at times. The terrible thing is that, as I said, there was a traumatic event that happened that caused all this in, earlier that spring. And we were still dealing with that. So it's almost like I was compounding. So in, in some re- some respects, I did feel bad because I was compounding the problems our family was already experiencing. Yeah. I just couldn't help it. Yeah. And they yeah. knew that, but yeah, they, they responded well. Um, and people have responded well now that I've talked to more about it. This is the first time it's, I mean, I'm really speaking out about it into an audience, but, you know, so. I appreciate it to say, to repeat that. I can't say for sure how the listeners feel, but I'm pretty sure they re- appreciate it as well. It's not easy. And you said there's a second attempt, right? Or almost attempt? Was that more recently? It was more of um, just a desperate moment of doubt. Actually, this was about a year after the traumatic event that happened. So this was in the March of 2020. I was about to go back to work again. So from that time, from about Christmas Eve to the end of March of 2020, I was out of work. I was, I just took time off. I still had a job. I just took the time off that I needed. I had sort of taken some steps to reconnect with my life and to get back to some semblance of happiness. This was connecting with some of the other things that were in the back of my head starting that summer and stuff. I was feeling much better. Uh, but then I got angry about something. It was a conversation um, I was having with my family. At that moment, I felt desperate that all my efforts to get back to happiness and um, feeling productive and, and there was meaning and hope were dashed in a way. Mm-hmm. And I doubted um, it, all of it. And I sort of ran out of the, the house. And you know, the first thing, you know, my spouse does is, you know, she's trying to, to call and then she starts calling a therapist and another one of our friends. And, you know, the next thing I know, then there's cops pulling up behind me in the parking lot of a store. And, you know, they're concerned about me. I had already stopped. I was already speaking to my therapist at that point and uh, a good friend of mine, I was already working through things and I was, I wasn't as close to the edge. Like I was the other day, that, that time back in 2019. But yes, I mean, I guess some people would say that was close call. Um, yeah. But to me, comparing it to the, <laughs> it's nothing like the, that first time mm. it did sort of give me a chance to take a breather and, and really look at the changes I had made and where I was going, reaffirm my direction and really realize that, um, that's just um, not the way I want to go. And this is the other way I want to go. And it ultimately ended up being a good thing. And that next day, I think, well, no, it was, uh, I think that was a Saturday. And then by Monday, I was back at work. So it was a bit difficult to have that happen, this big traumatic event where there's cops and everything. And, but then a few days later, I'm back at work. Mm-hmm. Well, strangely enough, um, because of all that, and, and because I had sort of reaffirmed where I was and direct the direction I was going, it really helped. And I, and I ended up having, that was the best year of my life, 2020. Really? Uh, For most totally. people, that's not what, that's interesting. 
2020 has not been <laughs> yeah. a great year for many people. Wow. It has not. I, I, as I said, I was one of the ones that's still lucky enough to have a job that I could go to every day. And I, you know, um, I had healthcare and, and everything, but my mood and everything just changed tremendously. And this speaks to what we were talking about earlier about unmet needs. We, we live in a society where we just overlook people and what they need and who they are and what they need to live a life. We yeah. just keep them surviving. We keep them struggling all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't struggling. Like I was able to be me and live my life. So that felt great. And I had the best year. Like I said, it was, it was weird and awkward to be living my best life in 2020. It still is. <laughs> but I, you know, I started to get help with my um, ADHD in the form of medication. And uh, the major thing that, that had really changed was that um, I was able to come out as transgender. And I took back my life. Mm. Now, this was something that I didn't even know was happening. Being raised the way I was, where I was, I think, not to mention the ADHD didn't help, but I didn't know any of this really. This was all just, just turned around, just all of a sudden, I'm just like, wow, this, where's this coming from and everything. And so that really helped. And so now I'm, I'm living my life, it feels like. Yeah. Wow. But it's all still there. I mean, all the ideation and it's, I mean, it's all still there. I'm just in a better place, but it, it doesn't go away. Cause I yeah. still see the cracks in the world. I still see, well, right. I mean, for one thing, how we treat transgender people. There's just so much that's still there. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where it's going. I just know that I, I do still have these thoughts and um, this world is still pretty much a terrible place. And it's, it's hard to sometimes to, to feel good about being here. Yeah. You said earlier that you, I don't know if it's always, but you generally, it sounds like your sort of baseline is I don't want to be here. Yeah. That's certainly where I was uh, for a long, long time. Yes. Um, I would say now it's maybe a couple steps above that. Maybe I mean, it's still pretty close. Um, I'm still hesitant. You know, this is all still new to me. It's still fresh and everything. One bad turn is just going to send me spiraling again. I know it's not like I'm a foundation. Uh, It's rock solid. Yeah. Yeah, this, to say I don't know if the word's the safety net, but right, you you just yeah. know if one thing happens, you might be in trouble. I mean, I'm speaking for me and some other people I've spoken to. It just seems like there's a lot of people where. Oof. I have a question about your coming out as trans. Sure. And I want to be careful about my phraseology, so to speak. Just saying it up front, like I might not get it right, and I'll do my very very best. Yeah, how did that, for lack of a better word, again, the struggle, whatever that looked like, the internal struggle or the angst, and I'm not sure if you had any, because you did say some point in 2020, you came out and that wasn't even, it sounded like it wasn't even a thing. Here I go again, being careful with my language. Uh, before, like, so when you look back now, right? was that there? And that, yeah. and that was informing some of your pain and your whatever else? Yeah. Yeah. It was there. It's always been there. In fact, when I look back now, that's the fact that I was not able to be the, the person that was in my head. I had to pretend to be this other person that society said I was supposed to be because of the body I was born in that, that informed a lot of my pain throughout my life. Um, that, and of course, like I said, the, mm-hmm. the undiagnosed ADHD. So together it was, I mean, it was like the perfect storm of um, just never feeling valid, never feeling like I could connect with the world or myself. I would look in mirrors and not recognize what I was looking at, who I was looking at, or 
So it was all, everything was uncomfortable all the time. Just being in my body was uncomfortable. But at the same time, we live in a society where everyone complains about their appearance. Everyone complains about the way their clothes fit or how they look in this picture. Their body issues are just, it's all over the place. So I just figured, oh, well, everybody feels this way. No one, no one is happy with, with who they are and how they look. So in a way, it never even crossed my mind that this was a possibility. And of course, where I grew up, transgenderism was, was just not something that was talked about. It, was, it wasn't even something that you could even easily see anywhere in media or anything. In the South, it's just in that culture, it never would have been. Okay, Even if I had the idea as, say, a teenager or even in my 20s or whatever, that this was a possibility for me, it would have been so taboo. I know of people who live in the South and um, these women come out and they're just amazing that they can do this and that they know. And that was also part of my struggle too. I was, you know, I'm 45 years old. So when this happened, it was 44. And I was like, what, where is this coming from? My whole life, this has never been a thing. Now, all of a sudden, this is like a thing. And it was so undeniable that once I saw it, so that was part of the confusion and the the turmoil that I was going through that summer that led up to my me getting so close um, that uh, that winter. Hmm. And then during that time off is when I just accepted it. I was like, well, this is just real. And you know what? It feels good. So I'm going to follow this. I'm going to go wherever it's leading me. And that's led me here where I am now. Then I'm much better off. But like I said, this this speaks to the unmet needs that people have. Um, you know, not only was I missed as far as my diagnosis with ADHD, but I didn't live in a culture that would even allow me to entertain the idea of who I actually was besides this person that people labeled me as, you know, this male, you know, named Eric. And that's another one of the things that we just kind of let go, right? That we that, that we've just bought as a society. Obviously, it's changing now, and I love that, but. Um, it's like the money thing, you know, thing, everybody just buys it. Well, of course you have to have a job. You have to, you know, pay for your healthcare. You have to pay for this, you have to pay for every little thing that you get in life, everything. everything. Yeah. Everything. And everybody also buys the fact that, you know, oh, well, yeah, this is who I am because I was born in this body. This is exactly who I am. And I'm so glad it's changing. I'm, I'm so mm-hmm. glad uh, that's part of uh, what we need to do. I think that we will if we can get to a point where we can allow people to just be the, pe- the person that they want to be without pushing ourselves upon them. Yeah. yeah. Then people will be happier. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Right. Like what if we made a world where people could be happy? <laughs> we don't do that. We, we, we make a world where people get distracted. So they That's think true. they're happy. Yeah. Was there any fallout from the past, let's say, what is it? Year plus? From late December 2019 to today, mm-hmm. it sounds like, and I'm being, again, careful with my words, a sure. lot of positive things have happened or things that you look back, you're like, kind of, okay, that happened. And that's, I, I, yeah. I don't like adjectives, but a good thing, right? But is there any sort of fallout that's negative? And I'm thinking one of the things I'm thinking about is family, because I know sometimes that can stir things up. Yeah. So something that has happened is that um, me and my spouse are separated but even still i'm still living my best life um then that's one of the things that's so crazy is that uh, we separated last year or we started talking about separating last year and it's sort of become what we're doing now officially and i'm still living my best life 
-hmm. Now that separation had nothing to do with me coming out. Uh, mm -hmm. My spouse was very affirming to me and accepted everything about all that. It's just other things. Um, yeah. But I'm still living my best life despite that. Now, there has been some fallout with other family, namely my brother. And that has, I mean, that, that was a, something I stumbled over for a while. Mm -hmm. That has not been resolved. I don't expect that it will be. I think that he just wants nothing to do with having a sister. And that's just, you know, and that sort of affirms what I was saying about the South and the mindset that's down there. I mean, he represents that pretty, pretty much. Um, yeah. Obviously, not everybody. There's plenty of people that, plenty of my friends who live in the South, except me and everything. So um, I'm in the South. <laughs> you are. Perhaps a, a sensitive question. I'm wondering, how old is your son? Uh, my son is 15. All right. So I'm going to ask. I know it might be a question that you might want to say, nah, no thanks. But what's the impact or the, I don't know if the word's impact, the effect thus far on him? And you, this has been a busy year and a half for you. Let's just leave it at that. All the stuff in that time, whatever yeah, else. How has he been able to deal with it, especially at that age? Mm. So one thing we have always done with our son is that we have always um, respected his opinion. We've always respected him being a part of the family. He's always had a voice. Obviously, things can hit you when you're young. Well, at any age, probably. And then you won't really realize until later how things are happening. But he seems to be taking it well. Um, everything is fine. He accepts um, who I am. Uh, he uses uh, my pronouns, and uh, mm. he still he still calls me dad, <laughs> which I'm kind of fine with because I've always been his dad. Yeah. And that's you know that's I didn't have a dad growing up. As I said, my father left, so the fact that he can still call me dad feels pretty good. It's you know mm. I'm his dad. But it seems as though he's been fine. We've talked about things many many times. We've had conversations and and stuff you know we don't we don't hide things from him like i said and he's a he's a he's a member of the family he's just because he was a kid didn't mean didn't mean we really treated him any different he always had the ability to tell us uh how he felt about things so as of this time he's good i'm hoping we won't see anything negative mm -hmm. crop up but we you know we'll be there totally what stuff helps you get through your days? Like, what are the, I sometimes ask people like, what, what brings you joy? But tied <laughs> to that is also, I always wonder like, what helps you cope? And I imagine for many people, those two are tied together. Cause when I ask that, I don't necessarily mean, you know, medication, although I know it's right. for many people, an important part of everything. So medication does help. And I'm, I'm really enjoying being on medication. Um, and it's, and it, it's working. And, I encourage anyone to, to, to reach out and get the help therapy, medication. It can be a chore, but that it yeah. can also be a sense of not only just help, but joy, because you start to feel better as you talk about things. And obviously the medications are going to help with your mood or your symptoms of a, whatever they are, which is going to alleviate you um, feeling these things. And you're more, much more free to enjoy what's going on around you. You know, you mm -hmm. find your bandwidth is going to increase. For me, just being me is this is a huge sense of joy. I mean, I have felt terrible about myself, my life, my whole life. Um, so, since accepting who I am and and uh, accepting my diagnosis of the ADHD and getting help, that is just an, now I know that all that struggle 
there was a reason. There, there are there were things I could do. Um, I I regret that I was missed in school and didn't get diagnosed and didn't get the help I needed. But I'm not just miserable. There are reasons and there are things I can do about it. There's you know, steps I can take. So just thinking about who I am is a is a sense of joy. But I mean, friends, family. I take a huge amount of joy in just the joy of others. I really love seeing people succeed and happy. I oftentimes go in search of videos just to watch, just to see people happy and feeling wow. good. And I think that is something that has really helped. Did I mention music? Music is mm. a joy. Mm. My my cats, I have two cats. Um, they're a joy. I mean, when your bandwidth starts to open up, you all the things that are always there, but you can't connect with to get joy from, you start to be able to, to do that. Um, that is definitely something that people can do. I think that is within their grasp to do that, to get the help and start to widen uh, what they can see and feel and connect with. Yeah. And that will help. I think that helps a lot. For sure. Yeah. You had said earlier that you still ideate. I yeah. think you said that, right? And that you. I do. It may never go away. If I'm not getting what you said right, you'll let me know. Might you try again? Yeah. yeah. If things go bad, we'll try again. It's it's a lifelong struggle yeah. for me. I think I mentioned that in our email, and that's kind of the basis of. So when things started to go bad for me as a teenager, as as I said, when I when I went through started to go through puberty, it's I are, I started ideating then, and yeah. it's just I've been I've been doing it ever since. I mean, it's almost like an old friend. And there's a, there is a certain amount of peace that comes with it because I know that there is serenity in the end. Mm. Uh, all of what's causing me pain is going to go away. And I can take steps to bring that on if I need to. It is, this is probably really dangerous to say, but I consider suicide self-care because you're just in pain and you just want to stop and people can't fix certain things, or at least not unless we try to get help, not unless we listen, but also there are so many factors in the world that are arrayed against us and the way society is, is set up that I think that people have every right to end their pain. However, they feel as though they need to end Mm -hmm. it. Um, And I don't take that lightly. Like I definitely think everyone deserves help. Everyone should go get help. Help should be readily available. And good help, like this is like the thing that we should have instead of towering office buildings. We should have places where people should can go get help. Right. (laughs) Should have clinics or something. I can Um, go down my block right now and see a lot of gas stations, a lot of banks, uh, all kinds of retail shops, and they're fine. I mean, that's they're serving a purpose. A lot of them. Can't find any quick walk-in clinics by me where I'm just in pain and I need a little help. Exactly. And it just and it's all good. Come on in. They're probably out there. I don't know what they're really called. I'm not sure what those things are called. Um, and if that were the case, they'd be a, a charity struggling to get by, right? Because exactly, there's just not a lot of yeah. Yep, relying on donors and, and yeah, volunteers. Just, yeah, yeah, confused. exactly. No money in helping people. And that's all the world cares about. Are there any really big myths around any of this stuff we've been talking about that you want to call bullshit on? That um, people who want to commit suicide are weak. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just terrible. 
because we're not. We suffer every day. Mm. We can still get up and get dressed and go. And then, yeah, sometimes we break down and, and we can't. We can't keep going. But um, that doesn't make us weak or that we're cowards. <laughs> I, I hate that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're willing to stare the darkness in the face and know that eternity lies after that. And we're willing to walk into that. We just want the pain to end. So the pain is something that I have struggled with because it is a pain. I guess we just define it as pain. I mean, to me, it seems like we're defining it as pain. as just something easy we can use to talk about it. There is this certain amount of internal pain, but it's more of like a... Um, uh, yeah, they, I guess there is no no better word, but I don't want people to get hung up. I don't know if they do, but it's not like a physical pain. At least mm-hmm. to me, it's not. And maybe to other people that it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, so, I have felt some symptoms of like a panic attack. So, mm-hmm. and that can feel like there's a pain in your chest or something, but that's not what I feel whenever I go down that, you know, it's just, it's more of an emotional pain, like a more of just a, um, like I said, it's, it seems to be based on empathy that the world is just so terrible that I just mm. can't stand being, you know, but yeah, those, those, the being yeah. the coward and, and, and that that's, that's just a bad one. It's, it's, I just don't even get it. I think it's because people are afraid. Those people are afraid and that's why they lash out and they call other people cowards who are, yeah. I mean, death scares them. Death does yeah. not scare many of us who, who are attempting to, or thinking about ending everything. Uh, like I said, when I was driving that day and I passed that place, it was, it, and it still is actually <laughs> last year when I went, when I, when I drove past it, just being in that place where I knew that I almost ended it all was very peaceful. Now I don't, I don't go by there anymore just because uh, the route that I follow has changed. But I imagine if I, even today, if I did, it would, it would be the same because it just, it promises to end the pain, the, the emotional turmoil, turmoil. I mean, that's a better word. That's like this. Mm. And it's just, um, anyways, <laughs> I think I'm ranting now, but okay. so what else can you, would you, would you like to add or share with people who might hear this, if anything? Well, just for one, I'm just so grateful that you're putting this out there. You are out there doing this and, and asking people to tell their stories. And I think, um, there's so many people that get so much from this that uh, make us feel less alone or that are, that we are being heard. Mm. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, the more we talk, the more we share, the more we connect, I think it's going to be better overall for everyone. For sure. Yeah. But yes, um, I guess that would be the other thing I would say is that if you're feeling like this to reach out, you know, connect. Um, so yeah, more places where we can do that would be great. Yeah. I think, um, more places that make it easy. Um, and, Way more. um, yeah, exactly. Like I said, right. we need to have clinics on the corner of every block. Um, but yeah, a Facebook group or or someplace online where people can easily go on, access and talk and share. It, I think that would be that would, that would help. Yeah, I would encourage. Yeah. Well, Elena Lee, I really appreciate it. I'll say it again. I appreciate you just reaching out, taking the time, figured out a way to connect on Zoom <laughs> and just sharing yeah, openly and, and candidly. And I appreciate it. I really do. Well, thank you so much, and I, I really appreciate you and what you're doing, too. So. Awesome. Have a good uh, rest of your weekend, Helena Lee. All right. Thanks. You, too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.
As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Elena Lee out in Oregon. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on social media at Suicide Noted. And remember, we've got that Patreon page. So if you want to help out, we've got a few different membership tiers. We'd love the support. I will include that link in the show notes. That's all for episode number 50. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.